This is the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security for February 22nd, 2019. In this episode, deceptive web page previews and messages. Google rethinks ad blocking but gets busted with a microphone. Ruminations on Apple Pay and disposing of old hard drives. The Intego Mac Podcast is presented by Intego, makers of security and utility software, exclusively for Apple products since 1997. Now, here are the hosts of the Intego Mac Podcast, veteran Mac journalist Kirk McElhern and Intego's chief security analyst, Josh Long. How are you today, Josh? I'm doing well. How are you, Kirk? I'm doing okay. I just want to apologize to our regular listeners who didn't get their podcast at the usual time, assuming they listened to it on Friday. I had a little problem with my Victorian internet. My internet kind of died and went down Wednesday evening, and all day Thursday, it was really sketchy. And then they sent a guy out this morning, an engineer, and I look out the door, and there's this van out there, and the guy in a hole in the ground, and he's cutting and splicing cables and everything. And, well, it works again for now, so we're going to hope it works through the end of the podcast. We've got a lot of interesting news this week. Google News, there's stuff about password managers. One of the coolest things, I think, is an article that, um, Josh, you wrote just yesterday. iOS Safari Flaw allows deceptive web page previews in messages. That's a pretty wordy uh, title to your article. Basically, when you send someone a link to a web page in Apple's Messages, the link comes through with the name of the page, maybe a logo of the website, and the domain name. It kind of looks like a notification that you get. But there's a way to spoof this, and it's not extremely dangerous, but you can prank people with it. That's right. And this is a really a clever thing. So Mac Rumors found this bug, and they discovered that um, you know there's this nice feature in Safari for iOS where you can highlight the contents uh, of a page. So maybe there's a particular sentence that you want to stand out when you're sending a link to that page to somebody through messages. So when you highlight some text on the page, you you know tap and hold with your finger, it selects a word, and then you can expand that selection out. Once you've got a selection, then you hit the share button. There's a little icon in uh, Safari uh, that you tap on to share. That opens up a new message window and you can send somebody an iMessage. And uh, Kirk is testing this right now, and he just sent me one that says, Breaking, Josh Long to run for president. I knew you had it in you, Josh. (laughs) (laughs) So as Kirk's example shows, you can can actually have any popular website, just about any popular website, pretend to be displaying some other headline. What MacRumors found out was that if you type into a text field. So let's say, for example, there's a search bar somewhere embedded within the web page, which a lot of homepages have something like that. Maybe there's, uh, you know, subscribe to our our newsletter. You could type into that field. Maybe there's a comment box. If you type into one of these text fields on the page and then select that and then tap share, it's going to send a preview to uh, an iMessage user of their choice. And that preview is going to have that highlighted text, even though that text wasn't actually part of the web page and it was just something you typed in. Right. Normally, when you share a web page like that, the text that gets sent is the name of the page, the title of the page, which may be the 
uh, name of an article, but if you're on a website where it's listing products, but the pages aren't the names of the products, it might just be the name of the website itself. Right. So I, I discovered this was a thing because a friend of mine, uh, Roger, sent me a message last night and it said, breaking Tim Cook to retire and to be replaced by Bill Gates. And I saw that the website was CNN.com. And I thought, okay, what did someone hack CNN? Did, you know, I mean, it looks like that's really CNN. So I thought, okay, well, this is obviously not accurate. And so I asked him, so, hey, how'd you do that? That's kind of a cool trick. And he sent me to this Mac Rumors piece. It, it's very convincing looking. Where where I see this as being a potential problem is much beyond the idea of sending a prank. So Mac Rumors calls this a fun trick. But I would argue that it could be used for some more malicious purposes. For example, somebody might want to manipulate stocks. And so they might pick CNN or one of these other sites and they might type something into, into a text field that says something that might get the recipient to want to sell their stock or maybe even to buy stock. Either way, if you can convince enough people by sending these messages, if you can send messages to people who might be trading based on a headline that they read without even reading the article because they want to you know, trade before anyone else starts trading, you could probably convince people to sell off a number of shares of stock or buy a number of shares of stock. And, you know, that, that could be kind of a bad thing. You'd, you'd have to do this one at a time. It's not, it's not something that you could really do at scale. You would target a specific person, yeah. Yeah, you'd want to target specific people that you knew had a lot of shares of a particular stock. But I don't think that people who are really day traders or professionals in stocks would react on something like that without checking it. Exactly. In any case, it, it is a good prank. And of course, you know, Apple is going to have to fix this. In the meantime, though, you know, by all means, have fun pranking your friends. Just don't do anything too unethical with it. Okay, so I mentioned earlier that Google's in the news and Google never surprises us anymore. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about some modifications that Google was making in Chrome, their web browser, which would have prevented you from using ad blockers. But of course, it wouldn't block Google's ads. Well, Google has changed their stance and they've kind of, pulled back on this, Josh? Yeah, so it seems that what happened here is that uh, there was enough backlash that Google finally decided, eh, okay, I guess we do kind of look like a bad guy here. So I guess maybe we won't make the changes <laughs> to the whole ad blocking functionality in Chrome. It's, it's interesting because Google often doesn't really backpedal or backtrack on on these things you know they make a decision everyone complains about it but then people forget about it after a few days and it it seems like google has decided to sort of bow to public pressure at least in this case well interestingly one of google's explanations for adding this feature was saying that ad blockers hit performance that slowed down the web browser and so Ghostery, the, the company that makes a, an ad blocker and tracker, did some tests and proved that it was really negligible. Uh, essentially, Google wanted to find an excuse to be able to do this other than saying, we want to block ads that aren't ours. And Ghostery came along and said, well, you're lying. And I, I think there must have been enough criticism of Google's approach being the company that sells ads and wanting to let their own ads through, but no one else's, 
Google being the company that sells ads and not wanting you to block the ads that they sell, that they had to do something. It is a good thing for those who like having a third-party ad blocker. Um, you'll still be able to do that in Chrome, at least for the foreseeable future until they find some other excuse and, <laughs> and, and reason to change things up on us. Okay, so in other Google news, Google bought a company called Nest a couple years ago. And this was a company at the time, they had a smoke alarm, they had some security, they had some smart home security stuff. One of their products, which is called Nest Secure, a security and alarm system, was getting an update. And in the change logs, explained that users could now enable the virtual assistant technology, Google Assistant, Google's version of Siri. Of course, Nest users didn't know that these devices had microphones to start with. Now, in some ways, a security system, you'd kind of expect a microphone, but it's really kind of surprising that they put a microphone in a device and didn't tell people. Yeah. And I mean, to be fair, I, I guess, I, in my opinion, I really think that people should expect that a device like this might have a microphone, regardless of whether that's an advertised feature. And, and what Google claims is that the product was originally intended to uh, have the potential of additional features that they might program in in the future, such as um, an intrusion detection system that, you know, listened for breaking glass sounds and things like that. And so ostensibly, that's why the microphone exists in the product and why it wasn't advertised. It, it just wasn't a feature that they, you know, were currently implementing. And so they didn't want to say anything about it. Um, but I mean, you know, if, if you were a geek and you took a, this device apart, um, you would be able to tell probably that there was a microphone in it. But of course, most people don't do that. And most people just read the side of the box and they never saw anything about a microphone. So they had no idea. And microphones can be really tiny. When you look at your Mac, you, you see how small the camera and the microphone are at the top. It, it would be easy to ignore because this is inside a, a plastic case and, and you just wouldn't be aware of it. Right. Well, and, th and that's exactly why I think people are so concerned about this. It's, you know, it's like, wait, 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 hang on. So Google owned a device that was in my house. I specifically didn't buy the Google Home because I didn't want any microphones from Google in my house spying on me. And now I find out that they've had a microphone in my house all along. I mean, it sounds it sort of sounds like like a, a Tom Cruise movie or something like Tom Cruise uh, came up with some clever way to get a microphone in my house and i never knew it yeah because you bought it yourself <laughs> <laughs> yeah like i i went and sought this product because everyone talks about how great nest is and and now oh what's important here is that it's not a question of whether google's going to use the microphone it's whether someone else can hack in and use the microphone well is it though because i mean a lot of people i think are just concerned about google spying on them as well not just third parties I, I agree but you know that it's google and if you've accepted the device you know that it's google but if you didn't know about the microphone and someone was able to hack in even though google may not have currently activated it someone was able to hack into it um that would be really problematic in any case, I won't have any Google devices like that in my home. And I'm going to check my two smart light bulbs after we're finished recording just to be sure that um, Philips Hue does not have microphones in them. Okay, so the Washington Post is reporting that password managers have a security flaw, but you should still use one. And there was a study that found in five of the most popular password managers that there are bugs. Are these bugs serious enough? I don't think so. We've always recommended password managers. I use one all the time. I know you do. Are, but do we need to worry about these bugs? Well, 
and, and you know, a headline like this is, um, I don't want to say clickbait, but it's it's the kind of thing that like you know people are going to be really excited about and share with all their friends who use password managers and see you know point at them and laugh and say ha ha see I told you it was a bad idea to put all your passwords in one place but uh, you know this is um, it's a little bit overblown so it, there are some really good things that came out of the study so some researchers decided that they would look at a bunch of popular password managers and see if they could find any serious flaws um, that, you know, might make it a good idea to perhaps not use password managers. And so they, they tested a number of ones that, um, so we've mentioned some of these before. Um, they, they and, and by the way, we should mention that they were testing only the Windows 10 versions of these apps. They weren't testing iOS or macOS versions of the apps. And so some of these things may be specific to the Windows platform and may not necessarily apply to other platforms like macOS and iOS. But they, they tested 10 apps, including uh, 1Password, Dashlane, KeePass, LastPass, RoboForm. Uh, these are all very popular password manager apps. And uh, basically what they found were some flaws that had to do with um, passwords staying in memory on the device. Um, and and f- I guess to boil this down, I think what's the, the, the takeaway here is that if somebody already had access to your device, maybe somebody was using some other way to hack into some part of your device, then they could extract things from memory and now find out your passwords. Well, that's it sounds horrible, but if you think about it, somebody's already got to be running software on your device in order to, you know, exploit that those types of vulnerabilities. So they could just as easily, if they're running software on your computer, they could just as easily be logging your keystrokes and, you know, capturing your passwords as you type them into a website or any number of other things. So um, the, these are, you know, legitimate risks but they're not really the kinds of things that you necessarily need to worry about if you're using a password manager. Um, and some of these companies, by the way, did say, oh, okay, we're going to you know, work on fixing that. We want to make sure that that is not an issue in future versions of our product. Um, other companies said basically, yeah, you know, kind of the same thing that I'm saying. Well, you know, we see your point, but we're not really sure that there's much that can really be done about this. So the article is worth reading. There's some um, some good points in there, but uh, I, I think the takeaway, if you if you don't necessarily want to read this whole article, the takeaway is that you probably don't need to worry as much as the headline might have you believe. Okay, one last bit of interesting news. If we go back to November of last year, I wrote an article for the Intego Max Security blog called "How Apple is Changing from a Hardware Company to a Services and Media Company." And there's more evidence of this coming out. It turns out that Apple and Goldman Sachs are working together to create a credit card that's paired with the iPhone. This is a kind of interesting story because if we think about Apple and services, probably one of the most far-reaching services that they've created in recent years is Apple Pay. It's secure enough that banks trust it. It's wide-ranging. You can pay for things um, physically with an iPhone or watch. Uh, You can pay online as well. And it kind of makes sense that Apple wants to maybe become a bank. Now, this isn't really a security issue, but Josh and I were talking about this earlier this week, and there are some 
privacy things to consider. You know, whenever you buy something with a Visa or MasterCard or American Express, there's all sorts of data that goes to the credit card company, to the banks. If Apple were to come out with a credit card and say, we're not going to sell your data, taking the same stance that Apple takes normally to privacy, that could be a game changer. Yeah, it's it's a really interesting concept because of that exact point, that, that Apple is all about security and privacy, right? How many banks do you know, <laughs> you know that get up in, in front of the world and say, we care about your privacy, here are all the things that we're doing to protect your privacy that the other banks aren't doing? You know, like Apple kind of does um, implicitly kind of talking about Google and Facebook and other companies that where you are the product um, and comparing themselves that way. Uh, so, I mean, Apple comes from, from an interesting um, point of view in, in that they're privacy first. That's, that's like Apple's whole thing right now is, you know, we're the company that protects your privacy. So I kind of like this. Um, a lot of banks have been found to do a lot of things wrong you know a, a, a lot of things uh like you know not storing passwords correctly or things like that and uh and so this this could be a really really good thing to have apple a security and privacy minded company or at least a privacy minded company being a bank well there's another thing um the way apple pay works is you add your credit cards to the wallet app and then you pay with them but when you pay, your credit card number is not transmitted. It's a unique token that's somehow created from your device ID and the date and time and things like that. And that token can't be reused. So this credit card data that you send to companies and that sometimes comes out in data breaches, well, with an Apple Pay-based system, that couldn't happen because these are one-time tokens. So in many ways, this would be good for the banks because they wouldn't have to worry about fraud for card numbers that get exposed. And for users as well, it's a, a, essentially a more secure system. Yeah, that, that's a great point. I think um, Apple Pay has a lot of advantages. And, and so for Apple, a privacy-minded company that already has been doing Apple Pay for, for years now um, to, to get into that game, that could be really a game changer, I guess, for the, the banking industry. Now, we're not saying that Apple is becoming a bank or that they necessarily will but um you know it's it's sort of interesting to, to it sort of sounds like that <laughs> okay we're going to take a break and when we come back we're going to talk about destroying hard drive this is going to be fun if you or someone you know has got a new macbook or imac or switch to the mac from windows be sure to check out intigo's new mac user center it's a one-stop collection of the things you'll need to know about using your mac Intego's new Mac User Center covers plenty of the basics to get you running smoothly and smartly in no time. Of course, one of the first steps you'll want to take is to install Mac security software from Intego to keep yourself protected. And right now, Intego Mac podcast listeners can get 50% savings on Intego software, including Mac Premium Bundle X9. Mac Premium Bundle X9 is a suite of terrific Intego software, that includes the antivirus, anti-phishing, and anti-spyware protection of Intego Virus Barrier, home and hotspot firewall security from Intego Net Barrier, parental controls for peace of mind from Intego Content Barrier, and much more to help protect, secure, and organize your Mac. Download the free trial of Mac Premium Bundle X9 from Intego.com today. And then use promo code Podcast at checkout to save 50%. 
That's Intego Podcast to save 50% on complete Mac protection and security with Intego's Mac Premium Bundle X9. Intego, devoted to protecting Apple products since 1997. Visit Intego.com today. So we all have computers and other devices and they get old and sometimes we sell them. And we talked about this in the past. I tend to sell my devices on eBay and and I've started trading in a couple of things to Apple. But sometimes you have old hard drives in computers or on their own and you want to get rid of them because they've got your personal data on them. I recently went through this process and I wrote an article for the Intego Mac security blog called How to Securely Dispose of Old Hard Drives and SSDs. And I found some very interesting things. So I have a stack of drives and some of them were 500 megabytes. Can you remember drives that small, 500 megabytes? The current hard drives that I use for most of my data are either four or eight terabytes. And, you know, over the years, I would buy a bigger drive every couple of years and a couple more bigger drives for backups, etc. And I left behind a stack of these older drives. And the other thing is that I don't trust hard drives more than about three years. So I'm always going to replace my drives after a few years. And I decided I wanted to figure out the best way to dispose of these drives. So I got my toolkit out. We've talked about iFixit in the past. They're this company that publishes these breakdowns of devices and tutorials about how to repair and exchange things. They sell the best computer toolkit you can get. It must have like 80 screw heads and screwdrivers and and what do you call them? Splodges, the little things to split parts. and Spud- Spudgers, yeah. Spudgers, yeah. And it's not a toolkit I use often, but in order to uh, take apart these hard drives, and I've got a couple of photos in the article, you need these very special types of screwdrivers. So let's talk about hard drives first, because you have hard drives and SSDs, and they're very different. The first thing is that you can't just throw a hard drive away. You have to pull the platters out, and you have to damage them. You have to break them. You have to dip them in acid or, you know, bury them underground. Demagnetize them with a very strong magnet. There are a whole bunch of ways to do this. Um, Essentially, though, you need to use a lot of elbow grease to pull out a a whole bunch of screws. Um, I'm just looking at this photo. There must have been more than a dozen screws to actually get the platters out. And this was a half day's task of doing this to a half a dozen drives. It was pretty long. Okay. Well, hang on, Kirk. Are you telling me that if I'm getting rid of my old computer that I have to pull it all apart and pull out the hard drive and do all this stuff? If you're getting rid of a computer, so there's two things that you can do. The first, I strongly recommend that you use File Vault full disk encryption. Because if you do this, it's pretty safe that all you need to do is just, well, essentially give the drive away and it doesn't matter. As long as no one can figure out your password, the the encryption is good enough on these drives that you can probably just give them away. I would erase them, of course, first because you never know, but you don't have to do this secure erase thing that takes eight days and overwrites with tons of zeros. Right. But if you're not using File Vault, and I wasn't on these drives, these are older drives, um, then you can't just give them away because even if you erase the drive, there is software that can come back and they can find like the ghost magnetic uh, waves or whatever <laughs> in the drives. I mean, you know, there are these services. If you lose data on your drives, you can send them to services. And what they do is they actually take the platters out and run them through special software. A, a little known fact is that when you throw something in your trash and you empty the trash, a lot of people just kind of assume that that data is gone forever and there's no way to recover that. Um, but what actually happens when you empty the trash is that um, basically you're just telling your hard drive 
or SSD to just free up that space. So now something else can be at some future point be written on top of that same space, but it's not actually deleting the data. It's not wiping it and and purging it from the drive. It's just telling the drive there's no longer a file there. So it can it can reuse that at, at will. And and that's that's why this is so important because you may have had files on your computer that had really sensitive information. They may have had social security numbers, credit card numbers, or who knows what else. Passwords, yeah. Um, you may have had pictures that you don't want other people to to have access to after you sell your drive or your or your device. And so that's that's why this is so important to to make sure that you know other ways that you can destroy that data. You can still safely sell your computer. You don't have to worry about that as long as you're doing certain things to make sure that that data is gone, that's un, that it's unrecoverable. There used to be a feature in macOS called Secure Empty Trash. Um, if you would click and hold the trash in the dock and press the command key, the empty trash would change and it would say secure empty trash. And what would happen is not only would the catalog information be deleted, but the actual sectors on the disk that contain the files would be overwritten multiple times. Of course, here's another thing to remember. When you're working on a file, you make some changes and you save it, that new file is written in a different location from the original one. So you may securely delete the latest file, but you've still got the previous versions of the files that are hanging around. That's true. And by the way, the reason that Apple took out that secure empty trash feature is because basically every Mac that you can get now comes with solid state storage. So an SSD uh, as opposed to a spinning hard drive. And the mechanics of these drives are very different. You have actual spinning platters like Kirk was was talking about in these older style hard drives, um, whereas you don't have moving parts in more modern SSDs. And one of the things that's different besides the, the whether something is spinning or not is that when you delete data from an SSD, even if you're overwriting it, it may not really be doing the same thing that it would be doing with a with a spinning platter. Um, and it may not really be deleting that data in the same way that you would expect it to on a spinning disk. And so Apple, being aware of this, decided, you know what, we have SSDs across our product line. We can't, in good conscience, leave something that's called secure empty trash as part of macOS uh, if if there's you know potentially a way to still recover that data. And so rather than finding a more clever way to... <laughs> securely empty the trash, they just took out that feature. Right. Now, it's worth pointing out that Apple, when they talk about um, securely erasing an SSD, they say the following. With an SSD drive, secure erase and erasing free space are not available in disk utility. These options are not needed for an SSD drive because a standard erase makes it difficult to recover data from an SSD. As you said, it works differently. And again, I think you should use FileVault and then you really don't have to worry if you do have an SSD and you really want to erase it, what you'll need to do is boot off an external drive and then erase the SSD like a separate drive instead of erasing it when it's the startup drive because you can't erase it when it's a startup drive. Right. Yeah, I, I, I think I think the uh, the most important advice that we can give to people, it, and, and again, this doesn't apply to old drives that you might have in a computer that maybe can't 
uh, use FileVault. But if you can use FileVault full disk encryption, this is built into Mac OS. And when you turn that on, um, that's really the safest way to protect your data. So that if if you want to sell that drive or you know sell your computer later, that data that's on the drive won't be recoverable. So th- that's really the number one recommendation. But if you if you have older drives, that's where you get into maybe you want to physically destroy it to pull it out and destroy it. And there are take apart guides. Actually, you mentioned iFixit uh, and how they have teardown guides for a number of different computers. Um, you can actually go to their website and find out how do I take apart my MacBook and chances are they'll have a guide for your specific model that will show you how to pull it apart, how to remove the hard drive if you really want to destroy it completely, which you can. Right. And as I said, once you've done this, you take the platters and you can soak them in acid. You can scratch them all over. You can sandblast them if you have a sandblaster. You could use like a multi-tool with a grinding head. Make sure you use goggles. Um, If you have a really strong magnet, you could demagnetize them. But I would want to make sure that the magnet is really strong enough And I link to an article that gives a bunch of other ideas. It's worth noting that there is a very big difference between 3.5-inch hard drives, those are the full-size large ones, and 2.5-inch drives, which are what you get in a laptop or, you know, a small portable hard drive. The smaller ones have platters that are made of glass, which means you open them up and you get to the platters and you just take the platters out and break them. And it would be really, really hard to paste together all those little pieces of glass Um, to get the data. But do use goggles or protect yourself because that glass can be really dangerous. I know that there are a lot of really clever ways to to destroy a drive. Um, For example, you could throw one into an active volcano, right? The lava is certainly going to destroy the drive. Um, You could drop it from uh from an airplane you know um there's i mean i don't know that that's necessarily the best thing to do if there might be people below but you know um there's lots of ideas so i'm really curious to hear what our listeners might suggest so you can write to us at podcast at intigo.com and tell us your ways that you might want to destroy a hard drive and and if we, if we get some really great ideas we'll share them on the podcast and don't include any ideas of mythical creatures swallowing them or anything like that. <laughs> Be realistic. Think of something you can actually do. Okay, that's enough for today. Josh, do you have a lot of drives at home? Uh, I, I do think I still have some old drives somewhere. I'll have to scrounge them up. Um, I, I actually have done this myself, the, the actual physical destruction of drives, but I may have one or two somewhere around. So I'll see if I can find some. Okay, so you'll report back next week. Until then, Josh, stay secure. All right, stay secure. Thanks for listening to the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security, with your hosts, Kirk McElhern and Josh Long. To get every weekly episode, be sure to subscribe at Apple Podcasts or in your favorite podcast app. And if you can, leave a rating, a like, or a review. Links to topics and information mentioned in the podcast can be found in the online show notes for the episode at podcast.intego.com. The Intego website is also where to find details on the full line of Intego security and utility software. Intego.com. Intego.com.